You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Welcome to another episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Asher Mulk, joined per usual by Mike Brody and Dalton Cates. Today, we're going to be going over some of the main storylines from training camp. We're going to be talking about Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, some injuries like Jalen Rager and DeAndre Swift, and just in general, some other tips to help you with your drafts in the final week. So why don't we dive right in and talk about kind of the main story that's come out over the past few days, which is that Alvin Kamara was possibly going to be traded from the Saints in what seemed like an almost pseudo injury, maybe not pseudo because he might need a back, he might need a, uh, a steroid injection, but maybe he'll be traded, maybe he won't, all of a sudden people drafting him we don't know whether or not he should be a top five pick anymore, let alone go in the first round. And Dalvin Cook always been a little bit bubbling in the uh, in the background about how he's not happy with this contract. He threatened to hold out, ended up not. So let's just uh, dive right in. Mike, uh, what do we do with Alvin Kamara in drafts? So recently, Ian Rappaport came out and said that it should be business as usual. It sounds like they cleared the air, and it sounds like everything should be good on the Camara front. So I would draft him as normal. I mean, let's take this in context where one out of 12 teams wins a fantasy league. So if you are able to get the advantage of drafting Alvin Kamara eight or nine, yeah, maybe he holds out. But if he doesn't, it increases your odds of winning the league. So I do think that it's worth taking the discount and the odds are that he will return to the team and everything will be fine. Um, I'm actually going to have a different viewpoint on that and um, say that Alvin Kamara is someone that I'm definitely, you know, hesitating to draft. Like, again, if you're in the spot, like in the late first round, Alvin Kamara falls to you, go ahead and do it. But not only is the contract situation something to be wary of, but um, something that has really caught my eye in the past day or two is, you know, seeing these um, high profile, um, injury doctors like a Dr. Chow and a Stefania Bell um, talking about this epidural shot that Alvin Kamara had within the past you know week or so and they're concerned that that may be able to affect him throughout the rest of the season and we know that Alvin Kamara last year he, he had an injury as well that he was dealing with um, that um, limited him to the RB9 finish so I'm concerned about potentially um, Alvin Kamara's um, full health throughout the rest of the season. And right now in the top five, I'm probably avoiding him. If he's in the first round, I'm more than happy to take him. So for those who are unaware, an epidural shot, most likely in his back, is probably the result of a bulging disc hitting your spinal cord. Now, for those who have had sciatica or something like that, you are probably very familiar with this. But uh, it can cause a lot of pain. It can cause numbness. It can cause a discomfort in a lot of places. For someone who needs to be in peak physical performance, that's not exactly going to fly. So I also, Dalton, have seen a lot of doctors talking about how, you know, an, an epidural steroid, is a, it can be a temporary fix, right? It only masks the problem of that uh, disc bulging out and hitting the spinal cord, hitting the nerve root a little bit. So we don't exactly know. The thing is, I, I think I agree with Mike here in that if you're drafting at the eight, nine, now if you're in the top five, right, my, this is probably a good tiebreaker. If you're drafting out of the three hole between Zeke and Kamara, uh, I, I get that. And maybe if you're really risk averse, you can take Derrick Henry over him. But if you're out of the 10 hole, you know, let's say there's a 60% chance that Kamara makes you this season. I don't know how you can pass that upside up. I mean, if you're drafting in the latter half of the first round, like we've talked about in this podcast, you're already giving up a massive amount of points to the running back position. 
And to be able to get a guy who even has a 60% chance of doing that, having that upside, might be worth targeting. Okay, guys, I have a quick question for you. Would you rather draft now Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, or Alvin Kamara? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Kamara. I, I think that this is a guy with 18 touchdown upside. He could catch 90 passes. And sure, maybe he had an 85% chance of staying healthy, but now it's down to a 60%. But, you know, I'm you. if you're going for the big prize, you, you're not going to – you have a chance at not having to catch up points in the back half of the first. I'm getting that lead running back. I'm saying Kamara. What about you, Mike? I'm going with Kamara as well. I think that you're trying to win the league. And I think that the higher end season for Kamara is higher than CEH is going to or likely to reach as a rookie. So yeah, I agree. If you want to take Michael Thomas over him, if you want to take Dalvin Cook over him, I get it. But when it gets to somebody like Derrick Henry, who needs to have this insane efficiency and score a lot of touchdowns in order to reach the levels that Kamara is capable of reaching, I'm certainly taking Kamara. And, and remember, you were taking Devontae Adams or Michael Thomas because you can't take one of those guys, right? It's not like if you have a healthy Kamara, he's a, he's a league winner, right? You're not taking Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams because you want to start with a wide receiver. You're taking them because by starting with a running back, you're playing catch up already, right? Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams are already plan B right? They're already your second best option behind taking one of those running backs. Speaking of Dalvin Cook, uh, his has been a little less uh, media heavy. He We knew he won a new contract. You know, he's still on his rookie deal. Now they just traded for Yannick Ngakwe, which uh, some reporters have said is a bad sign for him because that money that they might have put toward Kamara, they're now going to use toward Yannick Ngakwe's new deal. Obviously, he wasn't happy in Jacksonville. Mike, do you have the same concern about Dalvin Cook as you do about Alvin Kamara? How do you compare and contrast those two? I don't think the holdout risk is that great. I think that the good argument against taking Kamara is the epidural concern where maybe he's not healthy. These back issues linger and they're a serious problem. I don't consider um, Dalvin's holdout to be as serious. So I think that both... Are, are worth taking, especially if they're falling late in the first round where you're only getting an opportunity at these guys because of this perceived risk. And you're willing to take the risk because they inflate your chances of winning if they are healthy and they do play a full season. Dalton, what about Kamara? I'm sorry. What about Dalvin Cook versus Clyde Edwards Hilaire for you? Uh, it's definitely Dalvin for me. And I'm actually going to have Dalvin ahead of Kamara for the reasons that Mikey mentioned in terms of he doesn't have the injury concerns, and they're in the same boat in terms of a holdout. Well, it seems like Dalvin Cook's um, contract negotiations aren't as close as Kamara's. Like, it's still something to keep an eye on, um, and this is something that we do want to be aware of. I know Adam Schefter on his podcast, who's super um, – he's not only, you know, locked into as much info as maybe anybody else out there, but um, he also plays fantasy football. So he said that if Dalvin Cook does not get a contract by the start of the season – he would have pause in terms of drafting him. So I think that's something that's an opinion that I value highly when it comes to drafts and um, not necessarily avoiding him at all, but it is something to be aware of as we're approaching the season if he doesn't have his contract in the, in the coming days. Something that we should be aware of for those uh, who you know are getting uh, thoughts of Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon in their mind is that under this new CBA that was signed in March, it is much, much, much harder to hold out. You have even less leverage. And I think Dalvin Cook has less leverage than even Alvin Kamara does. So... I think this is actually a great chance for savvy drafters to use recency bias and risk-averse owners uh, 
it's a chance to gain an advantage, right? Because it's so rare that these holdouts actually occur right before Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell. And by the way, neither of those holdouts exactly worked out super, super well, right? Um, before that, it was like Vincent Jackson sometime in like 2009. I don't remember the exact year, but it, the chances of them holding out are so much lower than the chances of them not holding out. And that has to play into your valuation in terms of their average draft position. Don't be risk adverse. One team wins the fantasy league. And I remember a lot of people fading Zeke. They were worried about him getting a new contract. Humans are risk adverse. And everybody wants to fade somebody when they hear of some perceived risk. But if you're not going to take risk, you're not going to win your fantasy league. Because other people are going to be contrarian. They're going to zig when other people zag. They're going to take risks. And their riskiness, one of them, it's going to pay off. And they'll have an advantage because they took risks and those things went in their favor instead of incrementally taking small value and not giving your team a lot of volatility. And somebody who is a little bit riskier, maybe got a little bit luckier, um, will have an advantage in points scored. And and we have to stress that the people who take Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, they don't have to be like, they're already far ahead of you without the risk, right? So in order to get ahead of them, you are going to have to take risks, right? You can't just copy their strategy because they have assets that you are unlikely to ever acquire. So you already are behind the eight ball, especially if you're drafting the latter half of the first round. I mean, if you're taking a guy like, you know, Nick Chubb or uh, Josh Jacobs in the top 15 picks, you are really, really far behind the eight ball. And so, you know, you can, and they're, they're, they're pretty safe picks, right? We know they're going to get 270 carries, but you're going to probably end up in seventh place in your league unless you hit on some real late round guys. Why don't we pivot to some training camp injuries uh, let's start with DeAndre Swift. Mike, I know you had a few thoughts on this situation. Yeah, I think that people hear that Swift is not going to open the season as a starter. It's going to be Kyrion. He's a bit banged up. We don't know necessarily if he's going to play in week one. And they want to fade him. And what I think is important to stress is we want guys who are going to dominate at the end of the season. We don't care if we win weeks one, week two. Obviously, we have to make the playoffs, but if they don't pan out early, that's not necessarily a concern because we want our team to be strongest when it's in the playoffs. So if you're able to now get a discount on Swift, after looking at Twitter where everyone was so sure that he's the superior back to Kerryon Johnson, who's now going to wear a brace all the time, and Kerryon already said... Um, in interviews that he can't move like Swift does. So everybody on Twitter decides, okay, Swift is clearly the most talented player. Then the news comes out that he's banged out carry on starting the season and everybody wants to fade him. So I'm willing to take the discount. I don't care if week one, I maybe can't play him. I need to slide, let's say a Zach Moss into my lineup or a Matt Breida. I will take fewer points in week one so that in week 15, when I need somebody to perform, I have a potentially dominant running back. What about, you know, and this is kind of, I'm not saying just because it's the Lions, but in the past, we've seen them have guys like, you know, Amir Abdullah and uh, Javid Best, and they have, they were really hyped their rookie years just to see people like an unretired Kevin Smith or Joyke Bell get the work instead. You don't think in this COVID-ridden offseason with an uh, injury going into the regular season, you don't think this is a lost year for you, Andre? How, how far does his ADP have to drop for you to be cut? Are you comfortable with his current ADP targeting him? I'm definitely current 
comfortable at his current ADP. I think that there is... I mean, I'm usually taking wide receivers at that time, but we're talking about a guy who, in a group of unbelievable running backs, a lot of NFL scouts had him ranked number one. He was comp to like a Dalvin Cook. This is a potentially very good running back, and I understand the coaching concerns. Look, I get it. Kirion, we all wanted to break out. We thought he was great. He didn't. But if you are a believer in DeAndre Swift, you have to hope he's better than Kirion Johnson, and you have to hope he's better than Amir Abdullah. So we can't necessarily say because Kirion Johnson and Amir Abdullah didn't get the opportunity that we wanted on this team, therefore, I am fading this potentially special back. I think that that argument kind of fails in the sense that if you like Swift, you have to think he's better. We could have said the same thing about A.J. Brown with Corey Davis. Corey Davis didn't get an opportunity there, and many people did based on his situation, but A.J. Brown made it happen. And if you like Swift you have to hope that he's a guy that they can't take off the field. And I remember Sean Siegel saying, you know, at his current ADP, it was a little too rich for him, but maybe his ADP falls around and he is, could be a, you know, uh, he could shift from being a place where you're going to have to choose between your wide receiver four or five if you're going zero RB versus a true zero running back candidate. Dalton, are you changing your tune on DeAndre Swift? We know you loved him. No, I'm actually, I'm I'm totally with Mikey in this one. And it's because... When you have, there's only um, a few prospects that um, in this class that really have the profile of DeAndre Swift. And it, I don't think it's fair to compare him to guys like Javid Best and Amir Abdullah when objectively um, he's just a much better prospect coming out. They drafted him higher. He has a better weight profile. Um, he's more athletic. He had great college production. He's 21 years old. So there's a lot of things that we like about him that nearly like checks all the boxes in a running back prospect. So I don't think that the team concern really bothers me too much. Again, this was a team last year that um, with Bevel as their offensive coordinator was one of the top passing offenses. So if they're able to move the ball, it's going to lead to more opportunities for Swift. So I think that it's just a matter of time before Swift goes goes on the field and starts taking over um it is something to monitor obviously if it's an injury that continues to linger throughout the season but again like at his adp he's sixth round right now i've seen him slowly start to drop into the seventh round like again i'm, I'm hammering that every single time he has to be better than than knee brace johnson he has to be are you guys targeting carry on um i will take him i think that he should be taken in the range with maybe after the Philip Lindsay's of the world. And I think that these ambiguous backfields are definitely ones to target, whether it's the Rams or it is the Lions. There are a lot of ambiguous backfields, the Bills, another one where somebody could end up being a high-end running back one out of these ambiguous backfields, whether it's Cam Akers or Zach Moss surprises everybody. But I think when you're drafting wide receiver heavy, these are a very good source of potential fantasy points and potential high-end players where you have this lineup where you have dominant wide receivers, you target these ambiguous backfields, and whether it's due to talent or due to injury, there is a potential opportunity where we get a player who is very has very high end production at the end of the season when we need them to produce most. So for for those who are more risk averse, how do you reconcile your stance on Swift with the idea that we should be targeting the cheapest option in these ambiguous backfields, which would be carry on? I think that if you would like to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that 
in recent drafts, we've seen a shift to owners targeting Kirion more, and he isn't so so cheap. So it really depends on what you're planning on. And if that is your mindset, then it may be better to take one running back early rather than hammering wide receiver, hammering tight end. And then those rookie running backs may be a source of where you can get a high-end running back one. And if you don't like those and you would rather take the cheaper member of the backfield, then maybe it's better for you to start with one running back, hit those wide receivers in the middle rounds, and potentially add some of those Philip Lindsay, Matt Breida, Kirion Johnson types a little bit later. Look, we want you to take the players that you want to draft. I am not here to push any individual players onto somebody. It's about figuring out which players you like, which players you're comfortable taking, and making a draft plan according to where these players are being selected. Yeah. Sounds like pretty good advice to me. Why don't we pivot to another training camp injury that could have some ramifications and that's Jalen Rager. Uh, this is a guy we all really love. Checked a lot of, of our precious pr- uh, wide receiver prospect boxes coming out of TCU. They spent a first-round pick on him. He lit up camp. I remember reading a beat writer report that said if an alien landed on the Eagles practice field and picked out the best you know, skill position player, they might have picked Jalen Rager. So, But now we know he has a, t- a partially torn labrum in his shoulder. Tyro Williams just placed on IR for a an admittedly more severe version of that same injury. But for those who don't know, a labrum, it it will affect your range of motion in your shoulder. You can't raise your shoulder above your head very easily, and it makes you a lot more prone to dislocation. Let's start with Dalton this time about, are are you changing? How does this change how you target Jalen Rager and the rest of the Eagles pass catchers, if at all? Um, I mean, it no doubt changes how I am projecting Jalen Rager. Again, with these rookies, we already are seeing them start slow. So we're going to miss a few games. That only adds on to that timeline that we're expecting from him. Now, when in training camp, he was having great reviews, and it looked like he was going to start off the week one and potentially have a role. So, like, again, that that's limited a little bit, and it would have to see a drop in ADP by probably a couple rounds in order for me to really start targeting him and drafting him there. I think this the biggest winner here, though, is Zach Ertz and even like got like Dallas Goddard as well. Like Zach Ertz, we saw him absolutely get peppered with targets when they had no wide receivers last year. We know Alshon Jeffrey's going to be on the PP. Now Rager's going to be out for the beginning of the year. They have Deshaun Jackson there. They have J.D. Arcega-Whiteside now, Greg Ward. So not exactly proven guys outside of the 32-year-old Deshaun Jackson there. And also for Dallas Goddard, you know, from the second half of last year in week nine on, he was fifth in targets at the tight end position. So um, Dallas Goddard is now someone that you can actually probably plug and play in while Jalen Rager's out and actually get some decent tight end uh, performance out there for him. At your tight end one spot? Goddard? You think so? I think you can make it happen. I think you can absolutely make it happen while Rager is out. Dude, he was getting targets last year. So, I mean, that's what we want to chase at the tight end position. And Goddard has proven to be one of the... Uh, the more uh, probably the best second tight end in the league. Actually, no, this the second best second tight end in the league behind uh, Rob Gronkowski now. I agree with Dalton from the standpoint that we have to lower Raker in our rankings. I think that there's a concern with rookies producing in year one anyway. Now you add on this torn labrum. He's getting started late in his rookie season. Maybe he has an Odell Beckham-like return, but you have to be concerned about him reaching for passes, his catch radius, and whether he's going to be comfortable playing when this guy hasn't played in preseason. And there are a lot of concerns. And saying that he'll be behind somebody like Dallas Goddard and targets, I don't think is a jump. I mean, Goddard is really good. He's played a few years in the league. He's proved himself. And now what we're expecting a rookie wide receiver to step in and 
partially be injured and produce at a high enough level that we want to start him on our fantasy teams every week. Um, I loved Rager. I think that there are some concerns, and I think now you can make a pretty good argument that if you are enthusiastic about this rookie wide receiver class, wait a few rounds and take somebody like LaVisca Chenault, who's much cheaper, um, a very good prospect, and somebody who can be had with a really cheap price tag. Let's let's ho- let's hold off for a second on Chanel because I know we're going to talk about him. We discussed Leonard Fournette, but you know, are we are we sleeping on Deshaun Jackson here? Like now we know he could be could be the wide receiver one on this team, right? I think Ertz is going to lead the team in targets. I don't think that's a bold prediction. I mean, year death taxes and Zach Ertz getting 140 targets seems to be the theme of the last five years. What about Deshaun? Like, are we sleeping on this guy who he was healthy for one game? He went for what, eight, 158, and two touchdowns in his first game? I mean, I'm not saying that he can be your every week wide receiver three, but why not draft him where we were taking Jalen Rager? I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about this. Dalton, if you have any other opinions, you can speak after me. But obviously, we like targeting these young, ascending guys. Deshaun's older, has suffered some injuries, and is probably at the point where he's going down in his career. Do I think that he could pay off at his price tag? Totally. Uh, The targets will be there. The talent is likely there if he's still the same player. So if Deshaun Jackson is a guy that you believe in, his price tag is easily affordable where he's going in drafts, and he certainly showed him week one last year that he has the upside to deliver on that ADP. There are some other guys that I like around where he is going, but I don't think that he's a bad pick at his average draft position at all. Yeah. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is someone who could easily, like if he stays on the field, absolutely smash ADP. We know he's just a phenomenal player, but again, he's also up there in age. And for me, the biggest reason why I've been avoiding him, and I'm still probably going to avoid him, um, unless like his ADP stays where it has been um, off season, it's just because of the other plays around them. Like I don't know if I can advocate, you know, passing on Alan Lazard or a Paris Campbell or a wide receiver in that range. Like even like a Lavisca Chenault, where I feel like those guys just have more upside. And Deshaun Jackson really um, hasn't proven to stay healthy, and he's up there with age right now. And at the same time, they're also going to be getting Rager back you know, at some point in the season. So the target competition is only going to be there for him in the first few games where he's going to get the massive target share for the wide receivers. And then after that, you know, when Alshon comes back and Rager comes back, like what's going to happen to him as the season progresses? Like I want a guy who's going to be starting to peak as the season progresses and not like peak right at the beginning of the season, start to decline afterwards. I mean, I think the argument for a guy like Deshaun would be that, you know, wanting to hold on to Jalen Rager and, guys like that is all good and well but once the bye weeks hit like those roster spots just aren't available and as long as Rager's out like we don't know if this is a four-week injury right I mean I think Tyra Williams was initially supposed to be out eight weeks and he got placed on IR you know if Rager re-aggravates it or it's worse than they thought or he's having trouble in rehab especially in this in this COVID offseason I, I mean holding on to him is going to be is going to be difficult and comparing him to the Lazard I don't know you know when's the last time Aaron Rodgers was an above average fantasy quarterback he's gonna he's gonna support two wide receivers now you know, we don't even know. They want MVS to be that guy from everything I've seen. It seems like coaching staff wants MVS to be the number two. A-Rod wants Lazard to be the number two. I, I personally, I think I'd take, even though he's, what, 32 years old, I think I'd take Deshaun. That's a bit of a pivot for me. I usually agree with you guys on K1 and the younger guys. But, you know, when the bye weeks hit, I think you're going to, if Rager's still out, I mean, we know Deshaun's probably going to get at least five targets as the deep threat on you know, how many guys are the wide receiver one on a really good offense who are going in the 10th round? I, I I think I'm a little more optimistic than you guys are when it comes to Deshaun. How about a guy we're not optimistic about and never were, Leonard Fournette. First, let's talk about 
now we have some guys in Jacksonville. We have Chris Thompson, Devin Ozigbo, and um, our friend Ryquel Armstead. Mike, of these guys, do you are any of them worth drafting? And if so, when? Yeah, I think that probably the most valuable is either Reichwell Armstead or Chris Thompson. I think the concern for Reichwell is Thompson is probably going to monopolize passing downs. Think in terms of a James White where when they're behind, and this is a bad Jags team that's going to be behind a lot, uh, Thompson will be the guy on the field unless they force Reichwell on there. But obviously Reichwell is dealing with an injury, hasn't practiced a whole lot. They're already talking about a Zigbo. So, so now we talk about two guys on early downs who are splitting work. And maybe you can project Armstead for 160, 170 carries on a bad offense with 30 targets because Chris Thompson's taking most of the targets. Uh, it's difficult. There are, if you like Thompson as a, I mean, if you like uh, Reichwell Armstead as a prospect and you think that he is better than people, People give him credit for, then by all means go for it because his price is not prohibitive. But if you don't like him, this is a bad Jags offense and he's not going to get passing down work. He's likely splitting targets with somebody else. So think maybe an Adrian Peterson, another guy who's going to get 160, 170 carries on an offense that's not going to score a lot of touchdowns and he's not going to get a lot of targets. So can you really reliably put him into your starting lineup? Maybe during a bye week, he's a guy that can fill a hole for you and get you eight points, but they need to rush for 80 yards to get you eight points or 60 yards and catch a pass. And it's not something that you can necessarily rely on. So maybe I'm targeting people with a little bit more upside. I do think Chris Thompson, if he slides into the late rounds, is an interesting pick. And I do think the same for Raquel. But Raquel being in the news right now and being kind of a hype guy that's discussed by many and a name that a lot of people know, I think generally he's do- going too early for where I would like to select him. Yeah, I'm I'm actually with you on that. Like Chris Thompson for me is really the only guy that I'd be targeting this range. He has a history with Drake Jay Gruden in Washington. He brought him over there. So we're looking at the target options in this offense. Obviously, DJ Chark. We believe that LaVisca Chenault's gonna be a guy who's gonna be to step into targets. But then outside of that, it's like who else is really gonna be getting those targets there? And then also who else is gonna be getting work in the run game? It's like I don't know if I truly um, believe in a Ryquel Armstead or Divine Ozigbo, if I'm saying his name right, to really jump in and be the guy. It's to me. To me, I'm seeing reports out of camp saying, "Oh, Divine Ozigbo," and then some are saying Armstead. It's like for me, that just smells like a committee, and I don't want to deal with a committee on a team that Vegas currently has rated as the team that's gonna has likely to have the lowest wins next year. So, like, I don't want I don't want to push my chips on guys that I feel like are gonna be sitting on bench. Am I going to wonder if I have to start him? If he's getting 10 to 12 carries a game, maybe getting two targets a game. Like, like I don't want that type of running back on a bad offense. I'd much rather go for the upside and the PPR option. And they got like Chris Thompson, who could see five, six targets a game that's getting you those um, valuable points in the receiving game. And for me, like, I, I do not want anything to do with this Jaguars um, running game. I just, I, Chris Thompson or no Jags running back. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, I, mean, I think most people do, that Jay Gruden's the Jaguars offensive coordinator now. He's the guy that made Chris Thompson uh, really an every week running back too, uh, even I mean, in a zero RB gem a few years ago. So he could be a guy to target. But again, the upside's probably not there. I, I got to agree with you. I like I, a running back by committee on the worst team with a below average offensive line. It's just, I, 
honestly think it's bad for savvy drafters that no one's there to take Leonard Fournette in the second, third, fourth round. So I actually think this is a net negative for for uh, for zero RBers and for guys who knew to avoid Fournette in the first place. Do you think this has any? I know this is a bit of a sad topic. Do you think this has any benefit to guys like Minshew and DJ Chark or Net? I think that maybe it will get them out of their plotting tendencies and maybe they run the ball up the middle less and they actually go with their young offense, see what they have, air it out to Chark. Maybe they go out of the shotgun more and they throw to Chris Thompson more and they're having more quick hitter short passes. So I do think that you can project them to be a little bit more pass heavy and maybe it is a benefit. I don't know that it's a huge benefit or anything that you should take into account, but it's something that we can be optimistic about heading into the season. And we know Minshew was a big, you know, spread guy at Washington State. You know, he's a Mike Leach guy. That's how he got on the board. Dalton, are you more bullish, less bullish, or honestly doesn't move the needle too much about the uh, Jaguars passing game now? Well, the touches have to go somewhere. They have to go somewhere. So why not pass more in a pass-friendly offense that Jay Gruden likes running? DJ Chark, obviously he's going to get his targets there. But again, who else behind DJ Chark? Can we project to get touches? Do we? There's a report out of camp today that maybe Dieter Westbrook is going to be left off the 53-man roster. Doesn't mean like Chris Conley is going to step in. Obviously, we're big on Chanel, but again, somebody on this team is going to be undervalued, and I think that guy is going to be Lavisca Chanel. I mean, Lavisca Chanel. They spent a second high round pick on him. They're super high on him. All reports out of camp are positive, and we know that he's a stud when he's been healthy. Um, so he can get some of that short yardage work. Um, the short passes that can allow him to thrive. And I think that LaVisca Chenault now more so than before, like he has legit chance to lead all rookie wide receivers and targets. And he potentially may be the, I don't, I don't know if it's a hot take to even say maybe the top scoring rookie wide receiver this year in fantasy, because again, somebody on this team, there's going to be points on this team. It's going to be Chark. We know Chark is a guy that we want, but again, who else is going to be? And I think LaVisca Chenault is going to step in that role and get some fantasy points for this team. AJ Brown's going to be jealous if you keep talking about LaVisca Chenault like this. (laughs) I'm with the take that Chenault's going to get more value. I think that there's a lot of opportunity opening up, and he's kind of one of those hybrid running back, wide receiver, get the ball in their hands type of guys. And I think that the Jags have to, in year one, have a plan to get this guy involved. D.D. Westbrook really hasn't panned out. Chris Conley... He actually averaged a lot of yards per target last year and played pretty well, but it's not a guy that you're going to project project your future on. And Chenault is one of those guys. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that Chenault should be drafted a couple of rounds higher as a result of Fournette being released. Yeah, I think I think Chenault's special as well. I loved watching the Colorado. Now, before we move on, real quick hitter, any spots that Fournette could land that would be interesting? I I couldn't really think of many. I mean, I think he's going to end up somewhere where he's going to be the, you know, Jordan Howard to someone else's, like maybe like Los Angeles Chargers. I, I, I don't know. Do you guys have any ideas? I know there on Twitter, a report was circulating from beat writer about him going to the chiefs and pairing with CEH. <laughs> oh man. I can only imagine. <laughs> Please no. That would crush, that would crush some fantasy dreams, including Dalton. So if that happens, send some Kleenexes Dalton's way. Um, but 
I, I'm i not sure that he should even be on the field and out snapping somebody like CEH, who is the future for this Chiefs team, when Fournette... And also, you're competing for a Super Bowl, and you're going to add this character guy that a lot of Jags wanted off the team. So I don't know that they're going to be adding a guy like that. And I, I think to assume it is kind of ridiculous, but there's nowhere that Fournette is going to land that he would be a target of mine in fantasy drafts. What about you, Dalton? Um, I don't know. I, I'm thinking like a team like maybe like the Dolphins or the Redskins, like maybe one of those teams where he could. Hey, don't do that to Antonio Gibson. I don't want it to happen. But again, like he has to land somewhere, right? Like, like there is going to be a running back that we like late in drafts or maybe even like early in the draft. So like it's going to take some sort of value away from them. But again, to find actual value for Fournette, he's going to have to go to a team where there's not necessarily this locked-in running back. And I think a team like the Dolphins or the Redskins really can allow him to at least have some sort of value. But again, like he's not someone I'm really targeting um, really right now. And I'm just more concerned about where he ends up in the players that the players' value that he's actually going to decrease in, um, in lieu of the signing. Mikey, watch him go to the Colts and take away work from Jonathan Taylor. Please. Oh, I will... <laughs> That's not even a realistic concern. Jonathan, one day one day of watching him and Jonathan Taylor compete against each other and the Colts would be like, we don't need this guy. I don't even think he's better than Marlon Mack. I think that's correct. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm not sure that Fournette is as good as the general public thinks he is. Yeah, Fournette, for, for those who drafted Fournette already, I hate to say we told you so, but honestly, I love to say we told you so. Um, so at you. You, you got what you had coming to you. Like there was no way Fournette was going to be a good pick where he was going. So kind of sorry, not really. I think that's the concern with targeting somebody who you're drafting because of their touches. And I think that the argument to draft Leonard Fournette based on his touches was good and all. Like he was the best running back out of the group in Jacksonville and they're going to need a running back to play. And they threw to him a lot last year and he got a lot of rushing attempts and he had a good season despite not scoring touchdowns. And I, I understand that he was in line to get those touches again. Obviously there were the concern from the beat writers, but we knew that they wanted to trade him. And we know that he's not necessarily thought of as part of the Jags future. They didn't want to re-sign him. So I think there's incentive from the team to not play this guy and you're counting on the fact that he's going to be played. So I think that drafting... You think he had a good season last year? No, I'm just saying in terms of scoring fantasy points based on his touches, he was a worthy draft pick and he was going to be valuable again because he's going to touch the ball 300 times. And he, he caught 70 passes last year? Yeah, he scored three touchdowns. Yes, but he was still... If he's available in the fifth round, he's still worthy of a draft pick based on his fantasy points per game. Didn't you and Pete Overzet take him there? Ooh. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're going to go a little defense here. Why don't we move on to drafting strategies? I know Mike had some really, really good ones we talked about before the show that he wanted to share with you. Mike, what are, you know, a lot of people are kind of, I feel like, we talked about this too. People like forgetting there's an NFL season in eight days. Uh, your draft is coming up if it hasn't already happened. So Mike, what, what should people be doing? And if your draft isn't coming up because you're not aware that the season starts in eight days, 
when we're recording this podcast, it will even be less when you're able to listen to it. You should definitely schedule it and make sure that you're able to draft. If you're looking for a league to join because yours disbanded, we have leagues opening and filling every day at apexfantasyleagues.com. So I have some advice for things that you can do in your fantasy draft. My first one would be maximize your roster and your bench spots. I started playing fantasy football with my dad, and when I was a 10-year-old and I knew nothing, he thought you get a backup defense, you get a backup kicker, you fill out your roster, you have backups every position in case somebody gets hurt. That's not how you should draft your fantasy team. Oh, and bye weeks. Always avoid the guys with the same bye week. Remember that? Yes. Draft the best players that you can and don't say, I'm not going to draft this player because of a bye week or I have to draft a second defense or even you have to draft the defense. There's not a lot of consistency year to year for defenses. Draft guys who have a chance of impacting your fantasy team. We've talked about Chenault. He's available in, I believe, 16th, 17th round of Apex leagues right now. There are guys like Daryl Williams. We're not sure if he's going to steal some CH his touches. There's guys like Jarek McKinnon, who may be the most talented 49ers running back, and he's going undrafted. There are always guys, whether it's Benny Snell or one of the guys that I mentioned before, there are always guys to draft. So make sure that you are maximizing your team on talent and you're researching these guys and knowing some late round targets that you can benefit from. You know, in, in my opinion, if you're drafting a kicker, and you're not dra- and you're like and your draft is in the next like 4 days i think you're losing out on expected value right even if it's a small percentage why not pick up a kicker a night or two before the season starts and hold on to a guy like you said like Burkhead like Daryl Williams you know who knows what could happen I-, I could get drafting a defense i i'm not i'm certainly not against not drafting one at all honestly that would be my preferred method but for those who are risk averse don't really want to draft a good defense first of all don't do it before one of the last two rounds second of all definitely don't draft a kicker because you're missing out on a bench stash who could pay off for what to get your preferred kicker it's 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 insane yeah, I mean, it, a good example of this is if you were in a draft in the past couple of weeks and you didn't draft the kicker defense, but instead you stashed a guy like Ryquel Armstead. Now his value has hit because a guy like Leonard Fournette has dropped. So that's a perfect example of able to maximize your value and your roster spots before the season. And then and then once the season comes up, you decide who your kicker and your defense are, and then you can decide who to drop by then. But then your team is just maximized value by adding a guy like you know Chris Thompson or Ryquel Armstead. And look, we're not saying that like, don't draft a kicker because you're going to draft the next Arian Foster who's going to be your RB1. But, you know, for those who drafted Ryan Armstead, you're happy that you have an asset. You could probably sell him to the Fortnite owner for someone like Chase Edmonds or Tony Pollard or maybe someone even better. And that would be a net win, right? So definitely not a bad idea um, to hold off on even rostering a kicker defense until one of the last couple of days. What else you got, Mike? So I definitely don't see enough fantasy owners pay attention to the people that are drafting around you. What do I mean by this? Let's say you're drafting second overall and you're coming up for your fourth and then the fifth pick will follow that. So let's say the guy in the one hole started out with Christian McCaffrey. He came back with a running back, let's say Aaron Jones, it doesn't matter, and Lamar Jackson. So he has two running backs and a quarterback. The odds are he's taking two wide receivers. Pay attention. I mean, maybe if Mark Andrews is available, he goes for tight end. Pay attention to what's on the board, what you want to draft, and let's say that you want a running back and a wide receiver from the two-hole. Take the wide receiver first, because there's definitely a good chance that the guy in the one-hole is going to take him. If you pay attention to who he's drafting, you're better, you're 
better able to maximize the value that you're going to receive and get the guys that you want to draft. Yeah. Uh, one thing that also like goes, goes along with the thing is like understanding like who your league mates also like to draft. Like if you're in a league or a home league and you've been with them for like three or more years and you know, the guy next to you always loves those young upside running backs. Well, and you're like close to the turn, why not go ahead and take that running back first, knowing that it's likely that he may be targeting one of those guys, and then you can go and take the other guy that you want in the other position. So being able to understand what your t- league mates like and you know where the value of the board is versus what those players are in that target position or that target um, profile that they like, you can use that to your advantage and you know help to maximize and manipulate a little things in the draft to gain a little extra value. It's not just important if you're drafting from the two hole. There's times where, let's say you're fourth from the end and you know that a lot of the teams started out running back heavy and they're going to be taking wide receivers or vice versa. They need running backs and you want to take one of each. There are so many advantages to be gained. And after five or six rounds, it's pretty easy to predict what position people will be taking. It's not really that hard with a lot of people targeting running backs, wide receivers. We know that there's a fall off after the first two tight ends goes to market. Andrews and Ertz, and there's a fall off after that. So knowing ADP allows you to predict these things. If you need to find ADP, we have it on our website that's peer-reviewed through hundreds of drafts. And remember, most of your league mates probably aren't going to be doing zero RB, so they're probably doing value-based drafting, which means you're going to be having an easier time predicting who they're going to take. Speaking of thinking who people are going to take, Mike, what about, you know, maybe I have the fifth pick, I'm waiting about the same time between uh, each pick. I like two guys with my pick. How do I decide which one to pick first? So I think depth at the position is very important. You need to be aware. Let's say you're in that uh, handcuff area of the draft where we really like Zach Moss. We really like Philip Lindsay. We really like Matt Breida, maybe Daryl Henderson a little bit later, Chase Edmonds, Pollard. Let's say there's one wide receiver, Will Fuller, or somebody sticking out uh, Will Fuller may go a little bit earlier than those guys. Let's say you like Deontay Johnson and he's the guy available and there aren't many wide receivers you like after. You know that one of those running backs, if there are five or six that you like, are more likely to make it back to you. So keep an eye on that and also keep an eye on the rankings on each website. They do influence people. Some websites like Yahoo, let's say, may have Will Fuller really low. So pay attention. Maybe you don't have to reach for Fuller as the 25th best receiver even if you have him ranked there, because you can grab somebody like, let's say, DJ Chark or DK Metcalf first, wait until um, the point where Fuller is near the top of the rankings, and then you can grab him, even with some space in between. But people are drafting off of that specific website with online rankings, and there's a great chance to take advantage of them. No question. Dalton, any, uh, any last piece of advice or anything between what Mike said before we bid our dear listeners farewell? Yeah, um, one thing that um, I hope to just reinforce this point, and I can't stress this enough, draft for upside late in your drafts. Again, it has been hammered home, but I need to make this one last thing to stick in your brain before you draft your teams. You are trying to win your league. When you are past round five, it does not matter about who 
you are drafting in the minuscule of a guy beating ADP by a few slots. You want those league winners. If you look at the best teams last year and the win rates, it was because you hit on those guys. You hit on the Lamar Jacksons. You hit on the DJ Charts. You hit on the Mark Andrews. The Yeah, the Darren Wallers. Like Those are the guys that are going to win you leagues, the guys with the upside. We're not talking about Jameson Crowder being a league winner last year. So when it comes to drafts, you're passing on the Sony Michels. You are passing on the Jameson Crowders. You are passing potentially on a guy like a Sterling Shepard. Do not go for the guys who have history of being solid but unspectacular. We want to be chasing the guys who have that spectacular. And those are guys like DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, um, J.K. Dobbins. When it comes to wide receivers and maybe guys like Will Fuller, who we've seen be phenomenal when he's been healthy. Um, it could be, you know, the tight ends like a Noah Fant, a TJ Hawkinson, a Chris Herndon. It could be a quarterback later in drafts like a, like a Daniel Jones who's heading into his second year. Like these are the guys that we want to target and we want to be focusing on late in drafts that can help you really elevate your team. Because if you hit on one of these guys, they're just going to give you a really big advantage when you already have a really strong core that you've drafted in your first few rounds. I think what he's trying to say is embrace the volatility. There are guys like LaVisca Chenault that may have amazing years and they may have terrible years. Look, LaVisca Chenault comps to A.J. Brown and Juju, who both dominated in year one. So if he pans out, he's one of those guys that really impacts your season in a positive way. If he doesn't pan out, drop him. Grab somebody else. Rather than holding on to an Emmanuel Sanders all year when you know that Jared Cook is going to get some targets, Michael Thomas is going to get a bunch of targets, Kamara, assuming he doesn't hold out, gets targets, there's not enough to project Emmanuel Sanders to be a wide receiver one. We want guys who have this volatility where maybe they pan out, maybe they don't, but if they pan out in a big way, they will give you a chance to win your league. No question. And most importantly, have fun, right? We have been through a crazy year, right? I mean, it seems uh, January 1st, 2020 seems like 10 years ago. Uh, This is one of the few times you can probably sit back, relax, think about how everything's normal, enjoy your fantasy draft with your buddies, think about how, man, I can't believe I get to be upset about being sniped on my player, right? We would have begged for that a few months ago. Most importantly, enjoy this pre-draft time. Enjoy drafting your team. Make sure you do draft a team. And again, like Mike said, if you uh, don't have a league, we have plenty for you. We will be adding many, many more, possibly hundreds more in the coming week on apexfantasyleagues.com. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast.